you think about like, it's probably never been a better time to let your kid walk to school alone because every kid has a phone with a camera on it. Right. But, right. but we're also less likely than ever to let a kid do that because our visual bias tells us that there's, it's never been more dangerous to do that. And so what other areas are we perhaps um, more safe, but feel more scared? Are there any other areas that we feel scared where we really shouldn't be? And, uh, you know, and how do we turn the tides of, of those fears and, and kind of stop obeying them? Hey guys, today on the podcast is my new friend, Peter Keller. He is someone that I came across on Substack, and as soon as I started to read what he wrote, it was very clear that we were of a like mind. Um, he said he's never done a podcast before, so to take the pressure off, I just said, hey man, we'll just talk about whatever comes to mind, and whatever the podcast becomes is what it'll be. This is a wide-ranging of discussion. We talk about a lot of uh, deep um, you know, spiritual things, and we talk about some lighter things, so I hope that whatever you are dealing with today and uh, you know whatever your day looks like, that this will just keep you some company. I had a lot of audio issues, so if the audio quality isn't great, um, please forgive me. I cut off of the beginning of this discussion because the audio issues were particularly bad in that part, so we're going to just drop you in here in the middle. A few things that you need to know that I cut off are that he is from the Anabaptist tradition. He is in training to be a pilot for missionaries and dropping off uh, missionary supplies and stuff like that. And he is a fellow fan of G.K. Chesterton. We talked about that a bit. Um, I think that about brings you up to speed. And again, whatever you're dealing with today, I hope that this uh, just gives you some camaraderie. I love you guys, and we'll be back with you soon. What is the last YouTube rabbit hole you've gone down? Ready, go. Oh, goodness. Oh, let's see. Uh, scammer paybacks. So you know those obnoxious phone calls you get a lot. Yeah, I, I've been getting. So okay, yesterday I answered one because I was about to. I was supposed to receive a call from someone from a number I didn't know. So I answered this telemarketer, and now that I answered it, they think that like I'm all game, and so now they call me all the time. Um, but anyway, so yeah. So what? So what are the videos? <laughs> There's one. Yeah, what are the videos? Yeah, so the I think the YouTube channel is called uh, Scammer Payback, and basically this guy, what he does, he'll like go into, uh, so he'll answer these phone calls, and it's a whole, whole big network of scammers, and he'll answer it, and they'll like ask for his information and stuff, and he'll give it to them, but meanwhile, he's hacking their computer system, and he, he, um, deletes like all of their files all of their <laughs> yeah he hacks into their camera system so he can see like who he's talking to and report him to the police wait um, is, is it legal to hack into a scammer's like website or something i'm not actually sure <laughs> it, it, it seems very wrong but you know <laughs> but but very fun to watch i could I exactly could that would be i i found it intriguing because my I've always enjoyed uh, talking to scammers and just kind of egging them on. One time, just the other day, in fact, I was on the phone with a scammer for forty minutes. I think just <laughs> just leading them on and until I could, uh, yeah, finally have the pleasure of hanging up. So, yes. What do you talk about to a scammer for that long? See, so you, I'm sure you get the extended car warranty um, phone calls. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. So my, my questions will be along the lines of um, 
what all does this what all does this warranty cover like <laughs> if i run out of gas on the side of the road will you come fill it up for me and <laughs> will that be free and like so i can just run my car out of gas wherever and you'll come fill it up for me because gas is getting expensive you know <laughs> yeah. and, that's hilarious you know you like ask them what happens if i run my car out of oil um, <laughs> you know all the normal questions people should ask just like test their knowledge on all things automotive since apparently yeah and just irritate them in general i guess there's a great Um, uh pete holmes bit about how like if you don't swear they can't hang up and so he just like yells like true that's awesome well i don't know if it's true or not it's just a it's a comedy bit but in the oh gotcha gotcha yells the word diarrhea like a hundred times or something (laughs) It, it just like yeah it just makes a lot of weird sounds and stuff and in I don't know, for the sake of the bit, it works, but I don't know if it's really like that in real life. But I think right. mine probably, um, I've been watching comic book artists just draw something from scratch. And they're like these long videos that, you know, take forever. But there's something about it that's so like relaxing to me. I kind of overthink by nature. And so <laughs> something about that yep. is, very, is very relaxing. And that's awesome. Um yeah, I'm trying to think of like a more interesting answer though. Um, there's a guy named, or his channel is called Stuff Made Here, and he's like a scientist type, or he's an engineer, not scientist. Um, he's an engineer, and so he makes like super elaborate um, mechanical things. So basically, he made a robot uh, like arm thing that he would hold with his arm that would make every single pool shot go in perfectly because he like cameras over the pool table and then like a bunch of algorithms to change the position of the robot uh you know tip thing or whatever but and so yeah so he just does stuff like that so he made a baseball bat where um it would shoot when it hit the ball these gun blinks would go off because he was trying to break the like distance record or whatever and so yeah it's he does like super cool uh elaborate stuff um like that that (laughs) A normal person would never have time to do or or not that's, that's hilarious yeah i'm a big fan of stuff like that i enjoy watching mark rober like everyone else in the world i find him super fascinating I, yeah very much in that um in that wheelhouse of, of what he does um yeah. yeah um let's talk about totally switch gears again what's something yeah. that you might write about next what's something that is kind of like an idea that is circulating in your head yeah all uh, right this is actually something i have to talk about um so the next that i'm working on a little bit so far is um it's going to be on just on faith what are what faith is first of all and how it is to be realized in our lives um so obviously i haven't thought through it quite yet so what i have to say might be a little bit of um just what i have so far but i was this is actually born a little bit out of a a uh, conversation I had with a friend just in a coffee shop, actually. So um, he likened it to jumping off of a cliff. I'm I'm not really sure why I've been interested in that, but I suppose the season of doubting I went through just, you know, recently has, has borne a lot of this in me. Faith is less of the, um, less about whether or not you have doubts or not. Faith is the taking the plunge and jumping off of the cliff, no matter how much you doubt. And so that that concept is basically what I'm going to write about. I'm not sure if if I uh, put it into words exactly how I sure how I plan to, but you know, 
Yeah, there's a there's a great Lewis quote that there are three images I must always destroy. My image of myself, my image of my neighbor, and my image of God. And I think this ties into to what you're talking about here, that um, some on some level, a relationship, a long-term relationship with God is going to have lots of seasons of things that, you know, of thoughts that break down, of beliefs that break down and are replaced with new ones. And and that in some way, that is just a part of the structure of, of believing in anything. It's actually not really a bad thing at all. It's kind Absolutely. of a, a sorting. And um, I think that it's obviously always tempting for me to um, choose myself over anything else. But I can do that inside a church as well as outside a church. You know, I, I've done it. And I've done it as like a person who worked at a church where I was like, I used that as kind of like a way to feel powerful and to be, right. uh, you know, sort of uh, spiritually abusive in some way without, I wouldn't have put it in those terms, but that's what I was doing because I, I felt small and I didn't want to feel small. Absolutely. And, um, and so that's really easy to do. And then that in some way is darker than, than anything an atheist does because it's in the name of God. Um, okay. And so, at the same time, anytime I do anything, it's going to be relatively flawed because I'm doing it and I'm as flawed as I am. And so yet God wants us to do to do things and not, you know, be crippled by fear. So we must go anyway. And um, somewhere in there, I think it requires of us a higher level of trust that although we are going to mess up something, God will uh, will catch the pieces that we drop. And absolutely. Uh, and yeah, um, I, what was I about to say? Oh yeah. So for me, a question which has, or kind of the topic, which is, uh, which circles my head is the relationship between Christianity and art, because um, there's a great Chesterton quote, actually, that Christianity is always, true Christianity is always out of fashion because it is always sane and every fashion is a mild insanity. And I think about that quote a lot as it pertains to the creation of art because art tends to accentuate some, uh, you know, it tends to accentuate some thing. Let's put it this way. If it's a visual art, then it's going to accentuate anything that pleases the eye. If, and, and, and that pertains to every aspect of art that whatever, it will go all the way in whatever direction um, it is geared towards. And that's just how humans are wired. Right. So right. the right. reason that, people on the news or attractive people or whatever like because it's a visual medium we can get pissed off at that or we can just accept yeah. that humans are visual right but but where does that leave us with with christians who create art in some way because in some way christianity is so sane that it is not given to these like small um insanities that we call fads or fashions or something like that at the same time i think it's very easy especially for a person like me to be so self-serious that um, even though I may appear closer than most to the heart of God because I take it all so serious, I'm actually farther in some way because in some way, self-seriousness is the sort of antithesis of, of walking with God. You know what I mean? And, right, and, absolutely. And, and back to what I was saying a minute ago, that if I start taking myself really seriously, uh, you know, in some way that's way more damaging than if I was just out sort of living for myself because at least I'm not damaging the reputation of God. I, people are blatantly 
easy, uh, or sorry, people can easily see that I'm just living for myself. I'm not, I'm not mixing his reputation in there. Um, so I think Chesterton, Chesterton is an interesting example where he obviously wrote novels and stuff, um, really good novels. And, and a lot of them have his faith sort of sewn into them, but as a concept, like what is the relationship between art and Christianity? Where are the boundaries? If you're creating art as a Christian, where are the boundaries and how do you not remove the joy of what that art form is and how do you not disrespect uh, the beliefs you hold so it's definitely kind of a tricky um, topic but what are your favorite um, what are your favorite movies if you have any oh let's see well first of all let me let me say a quick something I I find what you brought up about art and how it relates to Christianity very interesting Um, yeah it's it's something I've actually thought about quite a bit, especially as it relates to music. Um, I can't say that I've come to a solid conclusion regarding that. But one thing that interests me is hearing, um, I don't know, I've, I've, I'm sure you've heard of uh, artists like Switchfoot. Um, mm-hmm. uh, uh, a few years ago, I, remember, I recall him uh, coming out and saying, I, I'm not a Christian artist. I'm an artist who is also a Christian. Right. Um, that probably isn't word for word, but something. Yeah. To that, no, I, that, that little article or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. So, so I'm wondering, he, he, does, he has a lot of music who's, who, which would not necessarily be considered Christian, but at the same time, it's, it's very clean music. It's not defiling to uh, the name of God or anything. Sure. So I have wondered about that pretty often. Where does where is the line drawn between Christians making art and does all their art have to uh, necessarily be praising God or something like that? Yeah, I don't. I come down on thinking that it doesn't because back to the self serious thing. Think about what being a rationalist atheist is. It's thinking that your explanations that I can't see God, I can't prove God, therefore there is no God thinking that right. my rationalization is so important, it is so uh, supreme that nothing else could possibly come above that. And in some way, a Christian or a person who goes to church that believes that God, um, that my, I, my beliefs are so rigid that life should have no joy, in some way, that person is much closer to, the, to that atheist, to let's say, I don't know, Sam Harris or Richard Dawkins or something, then then they would be to someone like Chesterton, who, uh, although very, uh, let's say, um, very orthodox in in the way that he believed Christianity, he also saw it as a means for joy in in the the rules themselves as a purification for the purpose of joy, for the purpose of of, uh, levity and joy and beauty and and goodness. And, And I think that if especially someone with my personality type. And, I've, and I bring this up to you because this is what I've been dealing with lately. I've been dealing with a crippling um, kind of anxiety where uh, I've been dealing with scrupulosity, basically, where I'll do one thing, small thing wrong, and I'll dwell on it like obsessively. It's like a, it's turning into a weird sort of mental disorder where right. I, I'm so hard on, on things, uh, on messing something up that it's like kind of starting to ruin my life. And I'm about to see a, a counselor about it and really just wave the white flag and say, look, I need, I need help. But yeah. um, 
and you know, and that that's just where I'm at. But um, so I definitely, it's very easy as a Christian to to give the um, give the answer that probably won't offend the people listening, which is uh, whatever the most Christian sounding answer is, right? But right, exactly. We act like some things don't have a trade off. Like super seriousness doesn't have a trade off. It does have a trade off. I'm a walking talking example of that trade-off of if I take myself too seriously, I end up feeling suicidal because that is not how the world is supposed to work. It is supposed to, I'm supposed to sort of live with open hands and, and to try to control certain things, which I can, and then to like really release things which are above my pay grade and to uh, allow some things to be above my pay grade. And, and in some way, I think it's, beautiful that a Christian just makes something that is great. The other thing which I like about the, um, the, that approach is that if we do separate, if Christian art, because you see this in Christian music from the time that I was a kid to the way it is now, um, when Christian music is very separate from, from the rest of music, it, that insinuates a few things. One, that we are a little bit scared of being out mixed in the the big bad world, which I think is very um, shows a lack of confidence in, in the things we believe that, that, and and again, this goes back to a lot of the way I was raised that, um, you know, my parents are very strict and stuff growing up and and they had their reasons and, um, and they were really great parents. So I'm I'm not throwing them under the bus. Um, They did a lot of, there's a lot of upsides to being that, to being those kind of parents, but, but that there was also in, between them and, and the way a lot of churches spoke to, to me as a kid, there was a lot of sense that the world was to be feared and that we, um, you know, it was dangerous. And if you ever touched that, that dangerous stuff out there, you'd never come back here and, and, and live by these rules or something. Absolutely. Yeah. And that insinuates that the rules are arbitrary, that you can't, that they're not reasonable, that if you ever get out, if you ever get free, you'll never come back. And yeah. I, I think that is a, uh, really uh damaging and so the the last thing is that art when art is allowed christian art is allowed to compete in the market i think it gets better because things don't tend to get better unless there is competition and should we sub you know segregate into our um little cul-de-sac or whatever not only will our art not really touch other people but also it just will get worse because it's not competing and Absolutely. We're, not, we're not forced to to grow now, this does create a loophole. It does create a opportunity for corruption. And this is why people are nervous about something like this. Typically, often when an artist will say, well, I just want to reach the world, what they really are saying and what they often mean, though they're not saying it, is that I really want what the world has. They're pretending that what they want to do is reach the world when often what they want is to become the world. And we see that happen. And that is, you know, that that's something that happens. Yeah. And, and I can even see it, I can see it in a lot of Christian artists that they're becoming, their morals are becoming very like, uh, they're, they're becoming like very leftist in the, in their framework and they still don't, and they can't tell. They still think that, um, that they haven't changed, but, but they're changing a lot. The world is really changing them. But, but again, I go back to, I go back to, if I judge that super harshly, I'm assuming. Absolutely. I'm assuming that I would never do that, that I've never done that, that I've never hurt anyone, that I've never gone off the deep end in some way and then stop or, or that I'm not attracted to those things. You know, a a more, I guess a more pragmatic view 
is that we need to really come to terms, and this goes for Christian artists and Christians in general, we need to really be honest about what about sin extremely strongly appeals to us. What about pornography is really appealing? What about all these dark things? Right, right. Can I just be honest and say, this really appeals to a certain side of me, and let me really dig deep and figure out why Christianity might say this is not optimal, rather than it be kind of a, you know, sort of a really harsh, uh, hateful, uh, detached dad or something like that. Is there right, just right. Is there beauty in Christianity saying this is not as this is not ideal. This is this is let's say um, maladaptive or it is it is subpar in that um, you know sin is a lot more than subpar. But if but if someone is caught up in thinking that um, their mistakes are too important putting it in that framework might let them go, you know what, God is so, God is huge. If I mess up, he doesn't change that much. If I do great, he doesn't change that much. I'm down here, yep. there. Let me never forget that. Let me never think that, um, that the whole thing, the whole show rides on my shoulders because not only will I, uh, you know, go insane from anxiety, but I'm also making God very small. And it's actually kind of spitting in his face to assume that the world changes if I stop obeying the things that my parents told me to. It's much more, it's much more true to say, you can do whatever you want. The world won't change. The rules of morality won't change. No matter if you obey them or not, you can go off the deep end and spend your whole life going off the deep end. Nothing about the way the world works will change. You're not that important. But because of that, there, there is a lot of wisdom in, in these things. And they, whether you see it now or you see it 20 years from now, there's um, underneath these certain guardrails is love and the the meaning of life, um, the idea that life has rules assumes that life has meaning because why would you have rules if none of it meant anything? And um, yeah, um, so mm -hmm. I think that's a, an interesting thing for people to work out. And I, I really am fascinated by the way that the future of Christian movies or, or you know, Christians that make movies, I think there's a lot of um, growth to, to, to be had there. And oh, definitely, and yeah. I, uh, I've mentioned it in a podcast before, so I'm being redundant, but there's a, there's a movie, a recent movie called, um, the way back and it's a Ben Affleck movie uh, and it's a sports story, but it has a lot of uh, faith in it. And that I think is kind of like a, a guiding light as far as what a great piece of of filmmaking would look like with with a moral framework in it and so I, I guess what i come down to is that great christian art is just art with a sort of moral soberness to it that i think that you could even show almost any you could probably cover any subject and and, and show any topic as long as it had a as long as you also showed the cost of the vices you know movies have a way especially right. past movies would have a way let's take an 80s i don't know action movie or something it would it would it would make it seem as though you know this like alpha male that sleeps with 100 women or whatever and he has and there are no downsides like he feels it's just yep. nothing upside he lives a life of hedonism it is unbelievably um filled with meaning and uh you know and and we all want to be him but in reality once you start living in hedonism you start treating people disposably you start to 
you know, recognize that we're in the wild west now that, yeah, I'm chewing them up and spitting them out, but they're also chewing me up and spitting me out. And this, and that, and a certain feeling that is uh, very dark. And I think you could depict that on screen as a, as a, as a person of faith, should you also depict the reality of the worldview that comes with it? And I think of, um, I think of vices and hedonism as a, you know, when you give in to them, it's almost like your the lens by which you see the world darkens. And the more it darkens, the, the less you can see the meaning of anything, and right. then it, the less you can see the meaning of your own uh, existence. But um, yeah, what is the um, what is the last book that you feel like was kind of paradigm shifting for you? Um, let's see. That's a good question. Let, I'm going to say it was, uh, it, it was, it, it's a little book called, uh, Will Our Generation Speak by Grace Nally. I'm actually looking at it right here. It's on my desk here. Um, I just finished it. Um, it's basically a call for our, our generation to not be ashamed of what we believe, especially as Christians, um, as it relates to the gospel. It seems especially in our um, broader evangelical setting that Christians in general are, they aren't thinking deeply about what they believe and that produces a, um, a laxity, I suppose. Yeah. And I, and my, I uh, actually push back on this a little bit. I think it's, it's really never the answer to, to try to like, kind of pressure someone into living more righteously oh yeah i definitely i'm not saying i'm not saying you're saying that but i have felt that way in the past where like there was sort of this assumption that like do the right thing because we are pretty sure it's the right thing and don't ask questions but we're pretty sure it is the right thing so for things to not get worse please do the thing we asked you to do and don't ask any questions because we're not that sure just do what you're supposed to just do it yeah (laughs) <laughs> and in some Which way, it, no, that, maybe, maybe God can really handle my questions. Yeah, they are really hard questions. And yeah, I might be arrogant in asking them. I might be disrespectful in asking them. I might even go off the deep end and start thinking that I get to rewrite the rules. But guess what? None of that changes God. Even if I spent 10 years trying to recreate morality, that won't change God either. And absolutely, maybe, you know, in, in some way, God is not um, in the hurry that we might be. And and he might be more willing to take the scenic route with with us than than we are with each other. You know what I mean? And yeah, you know, absolutely. It needs to deconstruct, and then ten years later, figure out that you know what, pretending you get to recreate morality from from scratch really is a is a road. You know, it's a long walk off a short pier or whatever. If you need ten years to fi- yep. figure it out, then knock yourself out. But you know that that is what that is. <laughs> And, and where I would look at that person and being like, stop being an idiot, but you know what I mean? But God may, Absolutely. Not, yeah. God may not be so, have such a short fuse with them, you know? Yeah. This, this book is basically about evangelism and right. basically a call for, uh, a call for people to not get lax and to not just be satisfied to, right. to keep the light that we have pointed at the gra- pointed at the ground rather to shine it so that us as Christians can be, um, I think how the Bible says, uh, a city set on a hill that cannot be hid. Yeah. Um, I have a, I have a question about that. Yeah. Uh, 
well, because something that Tom Holland pointed out in his book Dominion was that one of the reasons that uh, Americans and people in the West generally are becoming less religious is that Christianity has won so heavily, has dominated so heavily that the non-church-going culture is very Christian in a lot of ways. So people mm-hmm. think they don't really need the whole Jesus thing anymore because so much of it is everywhere. And um, in, in that way, it's sort of its own demise or something. But um, in regards to that, I was wondering the other day, I was thinking about this the other day, that I, I feel like it might be useful, and this might sound heretical or something, but it might be useful in many ways for um, for missionaries to to teach other things like um, ideas, long-term stability ideas of things like capitalism, of sowing and reaping and all that. Because I know that people who are super duper poor, and I would be this way too if I was, they it, there's maybe not a planning for the future because, you know, who can plan for the future when you're not sure if you're going to eat tomorrow? But, right. but in some ways, a lot of the goodness of what we have here in America is, let's say, in, in some way less spiritual than we might want it to be, than, than the average missionary might want it to be. And it's perhaps more pragmatic than the average missionary might want it to be, which is things like capitalism, where like, I give you what you want, you give me what I want, and then we both get a little bit of what we want, and we both work to give the other one what they want. And, and as a result, we all have food or, or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. I, I don't know. That's just the kind of thing that, not, not at all to say like, well, you know, go teach this stuff and don't, don't teach the religion or anything like right, that. Right. But that this is a part of why life, this is a part of why we have this feeling that the way we live should be given to them. You know, there's this very left-wing idea that like, oh, who are you to go to New Guinea and tell them that they're, you know, that what you have is better than what they have. And it's like, well, mm-hmm. we all have enough to eat. So that's pretty good. And, you know, you don't, <laughs> you don't really have to go yep. out on a limb to see how some of the stuff we have, they might want. Um, but but again, because there's an incentive for there's always an incentive for sort of in-group status and against doing something that is out, outside the, the sort of purview of the group. And so, you know, missionaries, it seems to me and I don't know anything about that. So I'm really just like maybe speaking out of turn. But it seems to me that a missionary might not be amiss by by also talking about other things that could could bless their world that are uh that are more pragmatic such as um planning for the future and and sort of economic principles that you know we're seeing in the west that there's a lot more to life than just eating because we all have enough food but now we're starting to wonder why we're even here um because you know in some way when you fight for your next meal you at least have some meaning that you know that my meaning is to find dinner and um and, you know, in the West, we don't we don't struggle like that anymore. So we kind of need a struggle. We if anything, we maybe don't struggle enough um, because, you know, a struggle would, uh, um, you know, and it's easy for me to say, but a struggle, a proper struggle would develop who we are. And if you don't develop who you are, you don't really you're not that sure you want to live anymore. So um, it's, it's yeah. a good thing. But yeah, any thoughts I- on that? Yeah, I I definitely don't think you were speaking out of turn when you uh, <laughs> mentioned, uh, uh, you know, introducing more missionaries, like talking about finances and planning for the future. I actually have some friends who, uh, uh, they were in Haiti, but they're back right now just because of all the political um, stuff going on there right now. Oh, really? Um, it was no longer safe for them there. So, mm. um, 
Yeah. So what they do there is basically they, it's called a salt microfinance group mm. and uh, they'll go in find these groups of, you know, responsible people who will, um, who, you know, have proven themselves to be hard workers and they'll, they'll uh, supply with, supply them with a little bit of money to get a little business started. And um, they expect uh, that money to be returned to them. And it's a, it's basically a big accountability group. Right. You know, they give out loans and stuff like that. Um, That's super cool. I, um, I took a few college classes a few years ago. I was trying to meet my wife, but um, but (laughs) (laughs) anyway, one of the things that was that, uh, which this, all right, sorry, side story. So I, that class finished and I liked it. It was good enough. And I asked this one girl, it was a whole train wreck. But um, right. and after that class finished, literally, and I know it's very straightforward. Like, this is why I'm here is, is to try to meet my wife. So then <laughs> I up for a class. I didn't really want any of the, I don't want to do any of the things that the majors were tied to. So I signed up for another class. I walked into class, looked at everyone go and went, she ain't in here. And then went and got my money back. But, uh, <laughs> but anyway. great. that's honestly great. Um, uh, anyway, so one of the things they talked about was the effect that Tom Shoes had in that although the Tom Shoes thing was a really um, well-intentioned thing, that in certain areas, it sort of screwed over people that made shoes in the area and and that it really like undercut when a people when people from the outside would come in and give them like, you know, huge numbers of shoes that the locals that made and sold them, you know, were kind of screwed and that that being a thing where like our idealisms overrode any kind of like pragmatic consideration of what would actually be best. But I think I love the idea of what you're talking about where, where they are, you know, they're setting up sort of a, a loaning model and that way, you know, that way you're leaving people, the people there with principles that would work once you leave. And, um, and I think that's a really, a really beautiful thing. And, um, yeah, in some way, there are all these like unsexy things that make the Western world tick, like all, all these, you know, checks and balances and, and just yep. sort of yep. small, non-idealistic, non-glamorous uh, things that, that make things work pretty well. But um, yeah, what um, what kind of music are you into? I'm just going to jump around here. No, that's, that's great. Um... Yeah, well, I expect you to answer these questions after you ask me them. So, <laughs> no. Um, so right now, I'm actually I'm big into alternative music. What do you um, mean? Like, what do you mean by that? Because the term always changes, right? It does. Yeah. Um, <laughs> basically, whatever the most popular is, that's not pop. Um, <laughs> seems to be the definition. Okay. Um, what? But uh, what I mean by that is, okay. I don't know if you've heard of like passenger. Yeah, um, um, he'd the, be a big artist. Yeah, I'm sorry. The acoustic artist. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So I, I, I really just know the one huge song. I don't know the other songs. Yeah, <laughs> he would. He would be an example of the style, the general style that sure. I like. Um, yeah, yeah. Other than that, I I listen to a lot of Christian music just because sure. I find that when I listen to music, I mean, absolutely nothing against like as we were talking about earlier, music that's not you know, um, explicitly about God, but I find that, um, having music on that, um, uplifts my spirit. It just helps my general attitude. 
in yeah. life. Um, yeah. Yeah. No, I, I get that. I think that's beautiful. And I definitely identify with that where that, that would be one of these things that, um, that a younger, more cynical version of me would, would think that, uh, like, for example, that's the kind of thing that an older person would sort of try to push on me as a kid. And I would be like, nah. but, right. they, but then the older I get, the more you go, no, they understood something that I didn't understand. They understood sort of the, they, they just had a sort of sensitivity to peace um, and the desire for peace that I was still so concerned with kind of proving who I was that yeah. I, I couldn't see what they were, what they were getting at. And so I get that. I think that's beautiful. And yeah, that's what, what you were saying there was 100% relatable. I, I used to be a huge into like hip hop and rap. And, um, yeah. You know, I, I, there are still a couple of songs that I'll listen to. Sure. I'm not against the sure. genre necessarily. Yeah. Uh, just, just the, the way in most songs in that genre are sung, it's all kind of depressing for me. And I would never have seen that before. Yeah. Um, yeah. Get that, yeah. and I think I think again. I think it's beautiful. I also think that I, I'm also down with like the idea that not everyone is as sensitive as I am, and that that's, and that's maybe, absolutely true. You know, maybe that's not a bad thing. Maybe the world is better off because some people are are a little bit less sensitive. But being that way, if you are that way, you know, you're geared like a person who is more sensitive. You're you're just geared to be able to do some things that any other type of person wouldn't be able to do. You know, and such mm-hmm. as the the writing about the, the meaning of life or something like that. Like a person who's a little bit more straightforward, they're not going to deal with some of the anxiety that I deal with and, and bless them. Like I don't, I don't want anyone uh, to, to have to do that. But at the same time, Absolutely. there are certain things that, you know, that they just don't, they'd walk right by and not notice because yep. each, each shape has its, its ups and downs. But um, for me, I would say it's, it's changed because growing up, I, I definitely, um, I grew up on a lot of like heavy rock stuff. I guess it was probably, probably kind of dominant when I was young. And I was to mainly did listen to a lot of like Christian bands like POD and stuff like that. Um, and I still love that kind of stuff. I still love really heavy rock stuff. There's a actually mm-hmm. a few one band in particular that's really like innovating the the hard rock formula, which is a band called Starset. And so they. Oh, I love that band actually. They're oh, really I'm good. so I'm so glad to hear that. Yeah. Because I love what they do because they take this thing that's familiar to me, which is like this hard rock sound kind of similar to Breaking Benjamin or something like that. But then they add this like cinematic element to it and it, yep. it becomes a new thing, you know, and I, I, I love what they're doing. I think they're really innovating in Absolutely. a space that's mostly dead, you know what I mean? But yep. um, the other thing, uh, back to the sensitivity of what you were talking about, another artist who for me stylistically is, is right on is, is a band called Bring Me the Horizon. But they, their music is so nihilistic. It's so dark, and, and not because like it has swear words or something. But it's just like right. it's like um, worldview is so dark that it that it affects me. So I, I kind of stay away from it, even though stylistically it's like exactly what I what I like. Um, yep, it affects me too much. I don't I don't really mess with it. Um, the other thing, so the other the most like recent thing, and this has been a cool thing, and you're obviously. Uh, super young. I didn't. I didn't know you were as young as you are. But one thing <laughs> I like to see is the way that my taste has changed. So, like, I don't know. You just—it's really hard to see yourself change, you know, because it just takes so long. Mm-hmm. Um, so recently, I've been getting really into uh, math rock, like this, like sort of complicated instrumental um, stuff. 
Um, and I don't know why I, it's never, it's never appealed to me before. It's like, um, and so it's, it's a weird thing that it does appeal to me now, but, um, so bands like Chan and, uh, and, um, this other band called, uh, Covet, but there was this one album that like broke it open for me that, you know, sometimes you'll not really like a type of music, but then you'll find the one artist that like opens that kind of music for you. And, Mm -hmm. um, so for whatever reason, and I don't know. Uh, I just came across him, I guess, through the cover, just liking the cover or the way the cover looked on on uh, Spotify or something. But yeah, so this band called Covet. And so I listened to that and it was just like simple enough that it, it didn't like pull me out because if music's too complicated, it doesn't feel like beautiful anymore. It feels like it's someone just kind of like showing off. Yep. And um, yep. so this this wasn't like that. This was like really retain the beauty of, of the music, but it also was kind of like dense in some way, a little bit more than, than kind of walked the line of what the kind of thing I would normally like and something that I, I've never liked before. And so that, anyway, that opened this whole world of, of stuff that um, for some reason after that, I was like totally open to all this, all this other kind of stuff. So anyway, that's the yeah. stuff that I'm into now. I don't know why. Um, it's actually, I was thinking about it yesterday, actually. Part of why I think I'm into it is that it is very centered bands like John, their music is very beautiful. And Mm -hmm. we, I was thinking about this. We have a tendency to associate goodness with being naive. And um, maybe that's because people that, you know, if you're in a really safe environment, you can be like a child. You can be childlike. You know, I think this is why God calls us to be childlike in his presence, because that would be a place where safe enough to do that, where we're safe enough to just let everyone, are down um but 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 for whatever reason um goodness and and naivety tend to be um associated and something that i learned from jordan peterson was that that there's actually a different way to look at it which is when you're a kid you're naive and then as you grow up you often become cynical but then as you age even more you often if if things are going well you outgrow your cynicism you become fully aware of all the danger of life all the suffering of life but you go back to looking for the beauty in the way that you looked for it as a kid. And, Absolutely. And, but you do it with your eyes wide open. And there's something about this kind of music that it is uh, very complex in the way that life is very complex, but yep. it, is very, yep. it is very beauty-centered in the way that I, I want my mind to be. Um, and and I, I look for like think, ways to like tie things together, but um, and maybe to a fault. But um, yeah, so that would be my my answer for that um very cool trying to think do you have any ideas of how to wrap all this up like what is the common thread between all this um Um, question we haven't it doesn't seem like we've talked a lot about kind of our writing yes i mean you read you read some of my uh post yes that one post i know it seems like we could do something with that okay um yeah let's think about that so (laughs) um what do you wish to accomplish with your, with your writing and with the things that you create? Like what, where do you want to leave people and what is your ultimate um, goal for doing it? Yeah. So basically my writing is basically what I'm going through at that certain time. I feel like there, there's a lot that I'm going through that a lot of other people can hopefully relate to. And so I hope that when I come to conclusions that, hopefully there'll be a help of other people in their walk and, you know, 
like lately I've been writing about finding meaning and um, just what takes our significance in life. Um, and that's been really good for me to um, dive into. And yeah. 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 No, I think that's great. I also think for me that writing is a way of like processing and kind of um, making it a little bit more concrete what I'm dealing with and, and mm -hmm. where there might be some progression. It allows you to see that you maybe are changing a little bit, maybe are growing a little bit. And, um, and it's great to just like force myself to develop the, the skill to be able to do it. Um, yeah, likewise, I would say that the heart of my writing is that at times when I've really struggled and I really just felt like the world was falling apart and, and uh, just felt weary, I guess, the people which yeah. would really give me strength were people who would tackle every hard topic and, and really like turn over every stone and, and just not shy away from controversy, but to really like go into difficult things and do it in a really bold way. Those are the people, Absolutely. those are the people that when I feel like my brain is not where my head is, which is not that rare for me, it's pretty, yep, yep pretty common for me to feel like is <laughs> like spread out in a hundred places and my body is just like uh you know a bag of meat or something like that definitely relatable <laughs> the thing which uh. pulls everything together for me is courage and so it's not you know it's not necessarily the most brilliant people it's the most courageous people so i um my goal is to uh is to try to model uh that for for the people reading and to leave people um, with a strength um, just from courage, you know, and, and a lot of times, I, a lot of times I don't, I don't always embody the, the courage that I would like to have, but I definitely don't, mm -hmm. I definitely want to leave people feeling stronger that if it's just you and me that feel this way, then, then we'll go down swinging or something like that. And that you aren't crazy for thinking the way you do or feeling the way you right. do. Right. And, uh, and even if we aren't majority, um, there, there are many people who, who feel this way. And, um, you know, and we're not here to live in any kind of fear um, or, you know, or to embrace a faith which embraces a fear of hard things. Um, but that our, yeah, absolutely. our faith is designed to penetrate the most controversial uh, matters and to infiltrate them and sort of um, bring the light through them. So yeah, um, that's one thing I've. I've appreciated about your your work. Um, you aren't afraid to shut to uh, address these hard topics. Like I, I read your uh, one piece on Christianity and swearing. Like, <laughs> there's not a lot of people who would address something like that, honestly. So, I well, really admire I, that. I, that and it definitely gives me stomach cramps from time to time because I'm like, is this <laughs> like, am I doing this right? And yep, what yep. about the the swearing topic is that it's actually a really difficult thing when something is a slightly smaller deal. Cause you know, let's mm -hmm. say I'm addressing murder or something like that's pretty cut and dry. Like murder is bad. Don't do it. But, um, but when I'm addressing something that's a little bit smaller um, in, in the grand scheme of things, it's actually harder because I'm trying to like really get it right because I don't want to, I don't want to go too hard on it and yep. I don't go yep. not enough on it. You know what I mean? And yeah. um, so that, that was a, it's, it's definitely a balance, but, but like I said, um, courage is, is the thing which really holds me together in, in dark days. And so, um, the, once it happened to me, you know, once, once I felt that feeling, I was like, you know, may God use me to give someone this feeling. So, um, Absolutely. 
Yeah. Well, um, yeah. Tell people where they can find your writing and I'll put it in the uh, description of this episode to make it really easy. And then, uh, yeah, just any closing thoughts. It's been great to, to get to know you a bit. And yeah. Uh, yeah. Yep. Absolutely. So yeah, my, uh, I'm on Substack, which is the email newsletter uh, service I use. Yeah. Um, you'll find me at kellerpeter.substack.com. Sweet. So that's where my whole blog is. And that's, you'll find all my posts and everything on there. And um, yeah. Awesome. And like I said, I'll put that in the description down below. Thank you all for listening. And, uh, and Peter, thank you for making the timing. Absolutely. Thank you, Zach. See you, bud. Yep. Bye.